0: Well, well, well. <laughs> <sighs> I guess I first have to say as we wrap things up here at Park Street, Laura and I and the kids just want to say thank you so much for uh, the many kind words and kind gestures that so many of you have extended to us in recent days. They really do mean uh, just so much to us. Uh, we love you. And we know we're loved. Uh, We started off the week with a barbecue at uh, my house. Uh, We had about eighty-five people, church leaders and their families, uh, and uh, just a wonderful time. We we just want to say thank you to them as well. And uh, but I'm praying. You know, I, I right before we're about to eat, I was saying these words of appreciation to them and. We're right by the, standing right by the grill, and um, I I began to pray, and all of a sudden, the grill just burst out in flames. It it was like, you know, Mount Carmel and Elijah calling down fire from heaven. Uh, I didn't know if the Lord wanted some burnt offerings that day, or I think he was just reminding us that, you know, he's really present with us through, uh, through this transition. About uh, three weeks ago, I had lunch with Daniel Harrell. Uh, Many of you know, Daniel was uh, one of the associate ministers of Park Street Church uh, in the 90s and 2000s, serving this congregation faithfully. And uh, the first thing I asked him when we sat down at Figs on Charles Street was, Daniel, how long did you serve at Park Street Church? And uh, he said, 23 years. And I immediately just made a great fist and said, yes, (laughs) because of July 9th, two days ago, I started my 25th year here, uh, and I guess I should say I've served here for 24 years and two days. (laughs) It does sort of feel like I'm turning out the lights today on a previous era of staff leadership as Most of those who are now serving on staff will spend more years as a part of this new developing team that will lead you uh, in through the 2020s and beyond more than they will have spent serving with me and others uh, the past two decades of this century. And so I come to you today to speak the word of Jesus Christ uh, to you and with you, but I speak as well for those whom I had the privilege of serving alongside of for so many years. Brothers and sisters like Jeff Schuliger and Pat Chen, Walter Kim and Tony Kim, Dan Varengia and Chris Sherwood, Stuart DeLorme and Karen Patchkey and Elizabeth Shively and Diana Bennett and Casely Esamoah. John Chung, Michelle Barkowski, Tammy McLeod, Tom Dewey, Bob McKenney, Bob Anderson, Robert Bloodworth, and Damon Adelman, Roy Bruner, Tom Brooks, Kathy Maxfield, Marie Williams, communication leaders from Sarah Merrill through Elizabeth Lowness, and Tim Leary, Bill O'Donnell, Steve McGaff, uh, Rich Elliott, and... Chris Larson, Ron Ebanks, Philip Wu, Lois Barn, Chris May, Elaine Carroll, uh, Deanne Townsend, Sarah Snedeker, John David Punch, Eva Ting, Tom Baskett, Grace Mann, uh, and of course Daniel Harrell and Gordon Hugenberger and, and a bunch of others, Andrea and Julian and others who were s- sort of serving in this transition time, continuing to serve. But But those I've served with since the 1990s. And I want to tell you that this cloud of living witnesses is cheering the next generation of Park Streeters on. Those who continue to live out their lives here as a part of this wonderful church family. Those who are new to this community of faith and the new leadership team that's beginning to emerge that will pastor you uh, through these coming years. And and I want to speak on behalf of my old friends and, and, and give a charge to you, this next generation of Park Street Church. Uh, and, and what I want to say to you is the same thing that Moses pointed to from the mountain and what Jesus spoke of throughout the Gospels and what Paul refers to in our passage uh, today. And uh, Edward, what, Edward Dore Griffin and A.Z. Conrad and Harold J. Ockenge and Paul Toms uh, and David Fisher and, and Pablo Policek and Gordon Hugenberger and Phil Thorne drove home week after week from the pulpit. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. And because of that faith and hope in Christ, love God and love one another deeply. Let's pray to that end. Lord, we ask that you'd be with us as we consider this wonderful passage today about love. We ask that you would make us to live in such a way as your family uh, to love you and love one another we pray in jesus name amen so paul says in 1 corinthians 13 13 so now three things remain or abide or remain now these three things remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love And if you read through Paul's other letters, most of you have, you surely have come across the fact that this isn't just a one-off statement, that uh, you find a number of times where he also speaks of faith, hope, and love in the same breath. To the Thessalonians in chapter 1, he writes, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes the same kind of reference to the Ephesians. He says the same kind of thing to the Galatians, to the Romans. Uh, when he interacts with Titus in the letter, uh, he says the same thing. You, you can look it up. So for Paul, faith, hope, and love together, they're essentially connected theological triad, inextricably tied together like bones and flesh and nerves are, to form a single body. One cannot be spoken about without the other. And they form this supreme reality or the supreme realities of what life in Christ means. And it's actually kind of fun to think about like how do these three things relate to each other you know why does he choose those three concepts and put them together uh, what does it mean uh to have faith in Christ and what does it mean to have hope in Christ and how does love relate to them why does Paul say uh, out of those three which all seem pretty important right you know, faith is what the Re- reformation was based on uh so, But why out of those three is love the most important, according to Paul? And when you think about this triad of faith and hope and love, you begin to realize, well, they wholly encompass the past, the future, and the present. I mean, think about faith for a moment. How, how do you have faith in somebody? What causes you to have faith in a person or trust another person? Well, it's the fact that they've proven themselves in the past, isn't it? Uh, When they said something, I'm going to do this, and when they do it, well, all of a sudden you realize, hey, I I can trust them. And the more they do it, the more you trust them, the more they become a reliable person. Uh, You depend on them, you put your faith in them, uh, or you trust them. So that's faith it has it comes out of this past reality and if someone proves themselves reliable to you in the past and they say hey I'm going to do this for you in the future well you're, you're pretty confident that well it's going to be done because they've said what you know they've, they've proved themselves faithful to you in the past so those things are going to come about and if if those things are of great benefit to you well, that kind of makes you happy and joyful and you're like, oh, look what's going to happen to me in the future. You, you're optimistic and you're, you're hopeful. and That's what hope is. You almost feel like they belong to you already because you're so certain that they're going to come about because of the person who promised them to you. So, so, so faith is connected to the past and hope is connected to the future. And that's exactly what Paul's argument is in two chapters later, 1 Corinthians 15, that great chapter on the resurrection, he uses the same language of faith and hope. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. Hear that? Your faith is futile. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. Faith and hope. But then he goes on to say, "But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he speaks of the assurance of the resurrection to come and, you know, in the rest of the chapter, and uh, and that's our great hope for us who have put our faith in Christ. So, faith in Christ is engin- uh, engendered by the fact that he's proven himself in the past; he's made himself." Uh, trustworthy, and and showing himself faithful. Most importantly, Christ has done that because of the proof of the resurrection. And hope, then, is this future-oriented, knowing the great promises he's given us about uh, our future with him, this eternal life he's promised us, and all that will come about. And what has he promised you and me? He's promised that he'll be with us. He's promised to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Uh, He's he's promised to make our joy complete. He's promised to give us an abundant life, to take away death. He's promised to take away pain and mourning, to wipe away every ear, uh, every tear from our eyes. And so if you're certain that Christ is 100% reliable... You can completely trust him. Whatever he told you about your future and what he plans to do for you, uh, what he tells you, you he tells you he he has your back. Uh, He's going to supply all your needs no matter what. Well, what does that do for you in the present? How does that cause you to live your life? How does that affect who you are and what you do? Well, it frees you up to not be concerned about yourself, right? You don't have to worry about yourself because you know your needs are going to be met for you by the hand of the Lord. You're, you're now free to care for the concerns of others rather than the concerns of yourself. You're, you're able to put their needs before your own. And you know what that's called? It's called Love. Love is not self-seeking but it's it's a radical commitment to put the interest of others before your own. You can do that because of the faith that you have in Christ and the hope that you have in Christ. And that's why Paul says love is the greatest of these three realities in Christ. And that's why Jesus in John 13 says they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Why? Because love is the fruit or the proof of the faith that you have in Christ. The hope that you have in Christ so that you need not worry about your own life. But are free to radically pour yourselves out for others. Which is love. And of course, Paul didn't just come up with this idea out of thin air. Faith, hope, and love, they're they're simply Paul's shorthand way of summing up what it means to have a covenanted relationship with the living God, following all the patterns of covenants that were made throughout redemptive history between God and his people. You know, the Lord would establish his trustworthiness by doing extraordinary acts to save his people, to protect them, uh, to provide for his people. Think of the Mosaic Covenant, for instance, the Ten Commandments. How does it start out? The Lord says, For uh, I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of Egypt. That's a big deal, right? Right? The Lord said, I will do it, and he did it. He proved himself reliable. The God who is, unlike all the other gods who are not. And when God would establish a covenant, you know, so so he proves himself by past action, he would then establish a covenant with his people, he would always extend blessings or promises to them right he deuteronomy 28 uh, accompanying the mosaic covenant the lord says you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country the fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out and so on it continues on those blessings were the great hope of god's people so faith and hope And so what would God demand in the present from his people? He would call them to live by the stipulations or the commandments of the law, of the covenant, to be fulfilled, right? Ten commandments, for example. And what does Paul say about those commandments? What does he say about the law? Paul says in Romans 13, love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus says in John 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I mean, you see, keep, well, y- you kept the commandments because of the faith you had in God and the hope you had in God and those actions towards God and towards one another, those commandments were all love. So faith, hope. And, love. and we're in the middle of a series in psalms right now. The, the psalm of ascents we're studying. And you know those psalms, what, what they were about, the, the, they were sung while pilgrims headed towards Jerusalem for festivals. But don't forget why they were headed to Jerusalem. It wasn't just for the festival. It was the festival. Uh, but what were those festivals actually about? Why were they going there? It's because in Deuteronomy 12, they're they're coming out of Egypt, the promised land, they're, you know, heading towards the promised land. And God promises to them, he says, basically, he says, one day I will choose a place and I will put my name there and dwell among you there. And when I do, when I, when this all happens, I want you to come with your families and celebrate with me. That's why they were going to to Jerusalem. And wouldn't you know it, God did exactly as he promised through Moses, through Joshua, through David and Solomon. He brought them into the promised land. He established a dwelling place for himself on Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem. And so when the travelers went to Jerusalem for these festivals, they would sing these wonderful songs of faith reminding themselves that God proved himself reliable because look where we're going we're going to Mount Zion so they'd sing songs like what we read today Psalm 125 one of the songs of a they'd sing things like the Lord surrounds his people those who trust in him or those who put their faith in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved but abides forever But the Psalms didn't just talk about faith in that way. They talked about hope as well. They highlighted hope, that which the people expected the Lord would do in the future. So again, in Psalm 125, verse 5, the psalmist speaks of the future hope of judgment against uh, their enemies. He says, those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away. No evil is going to be done away with in the future. So they would rehearse their hope in the Lord, faith and hope. And of course, if you read the Psalms, you, you know I talked about when we read, uh, when we talked about Psalm one a few years ago. The, the whole book of Psalms is is a book of covenant renewal, calling God back or calling God's people back to faithfulness, to hope, and to fulfill God's law, to live and renew that covenant by being. Uh, faithful by living out uh, the stipulations and uh, commandments of the law. So you really couldn't find three better words than faith, hope, and love to sum up all of what the Psalms were about. So the covenants, the Psalms, and and so Paul weaves it all through his in the shorthand way all through his writings and as well so as he approaches the end of his letter to the Corinthians Paul spends 12 verses driving home the importance and centrality of love capping it off proclaiming uh, now these three things remain faith hope and love but the greatest among these is love Why does he tell them this at this point in his letter? He tells them because they needed to hear it. He loved this church. He spent a year and a half ministering among the Corinthians and he heard that they were going through a particularly hard time. The Corinthian church, they were uh, a church in a major city, a cosmopolitan church steeped in Greek culture uh, and progress and advancement. The Corinthian church, they they were a church filled with smart people who loved intellectual pursuit and wisdom uh, and, and the Greek mindset. The church of Corinth, they were a wealthy church with amazing resources at their fingertips. The Corinthian church, they loved religious practices and and spiritual experiences. In fact, the Spirit manifested themselves or manifested himself among them in a powerful way. Uh, you kind of building in them the sense of importance and and power that they had. And all of these things, Paul says in uh, the fourth chapter, he says the Corinthians are a puffed-up church. You know, all all those good things kind of build a pride that sometimes uh, doesn't serve you well. And such pride as it inevitably does also led the Corinthians church to be a divided church, so much so that lawsuits were breaking out between people who used to sit next together, you know, in worship. So he's basically, so he basically says to them in the opening of his letter, you know what, there's two ways to continue forward as a church. You can embrace the wisdom of this world and see where it gets you, or you can embrace the mind of Christ. And then he addresses a number of issues, and and as he gets to chapter 13, he, this is his I think the most important thing he wanted to say to the Corinthians uh, in his entire letter because he starts out by saying let me show you the most excellent way and what is it he begins to then expound on love he says love is patient what does that mean well, when you know that God is wholly reliable and he promises to protect you and provide for you now and in the future, you're okay where you are right now. You don't have to try to make things happen on your own. You can be patient with others. You can be patient with God. You can be patient with your circumstances. And just like God work out all of those things because he's trustworthy and you know his promises to you. Paul says, love does not envy. What does that mean? Well, if you know that God is wholly reliable and he promises to protect and provide for you to supply all your needs, you can just be happy where you are. You can be happy who God has made you to be. Uh, what what you can be happy with what he's given you 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 can just be happy rather than uh, living in a stew wishing you had what someone else has Paul says love does not insist on its own way you see when you're convinced that God will supply all your needs and he has the best plan for your life a better plan than you could imagine well you know as I said earlier you're no longer concerned about your own needs your own desires your own wants and you can wholly focus on the interests of others and and letting them get their way instead of you insisting on you getting your way you, you become their champions and help bring about what they want Rather than what you want. Verse five says, in the ESV, "Love is not irritable or resentful." The NIV translates it, "Love is not easily angered, and keeps no record of wrongs." Well, why is that? Well, because you trust God to hold others accountable. He'll take care of the sin of others. You don't have to. He'll he'll take care of it by the cross. He'll he'll take care of it some other way if, if there's not a heart of repentance. But that's his to take care of. That's not yours. You can rest in knowing that all things will be made right. You're freed up instead to treat others and Regardless of how they treated you, you're, you're set up to treat others now like Jesus treated you, right? To forgive and uh, act kindly and offer compassion. Why? Because the Lord has your back. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Paul says. Look, we, we go through tremendous difficult times As followers of Jesus bearing burdens and enduring hardships but with faith firmly in Christ and with your hope securely in Christ we can just cheerfully continue on to pour ourselves out for others no matter what the burdens are what uh, the hardship we have to endure for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. The writer of Hebrews tells us faith and hope lived out, expressing themselves through love. It was, it's just a wholly different way of thinking and living your life out than what standard Greek cultural thought and practice ever was. It's a wholly different way of living your life out than what the world tells you you have to do for yourself. The wisdom of the world looks the cross and says, that is folly. That's foolish. The way of love looks at the cross primarily as an example or I should probably say the primary example of faith and hope and love in the Lord in the living God in our Savior and Jesus says hey take up your cross and follow me And so we have a choice as a church, we have a choice as individuals, a choice is before us every time we get together. Every time we wake up in the day, we have the choice that Paul puts before the Corinthians. Do we live out our lives like the rest of the world lives their lives? Or do we live out our lives in this most excellent way? And here's the good news, at least from my perspective. Park Street Church is not the church of Corinth. 24 years here, and I've seen love born out of faith and hope poured out among us like the kind of river that the choir just sang about a moment ago. A life-giving river. I think of Sarah Robinson and Amy Murgatroyd and Amy Swint giving themselves every year to be the registrars for Kids Week, registering 300 kids and trying to keep 400 parents happy every year. And I I think of Paul uh, Johnson and uh, Laura Roscoe, Trixie Pentex, Judy Ingebis, Greg O'Brien, Jeff Rowe, that, that team that none of you even knows about, but every first Sunday uh, for communion, they would be down in Fellowship Hall at 7 a.m. in the morning, pouring little juice into cups for 700 people uh, and having the best time doing it. I think of David Saff, working at the prisons in the Boston area, throughout the Boston area. I think of Heather Hutter and... Lisa Adelman, signing for those who were deaf among us during the worship services. Or Phil Mell, every Thursday he would offer the, the devotion for the choir when they would gather together and practice. I, I think of Martha New, who for so many years faithfully served and continues to do so as our chairman of the, uh, chairperson of the uh, uh, finance and administration FA committee ensuring that our facilities and finances are as best as they could be. And I think of David Ricks over the past three years, serving through very challenging times and and all the meetings that that he's had individually and with groups and and overseeing a very spirited elders board uh, and, and trying to hold the church together through his leadership over this period of transition. Uh, Patrick Lynch I think of and Perlina Mills and Turid Larson and the Lindemans welcoming people at our doors on Sunday and Giuseppe Luna and Cindy Frechette helping organize our ushers in here and Giuseppe's mom and dad and sister and their team putting together refreshments for between our morning services for everybody and Mayumi Rideout and, and Doug May as they they would organize people to pray over here after after services for those who've had their hearts touched by a word that day. Uh, I think of Carolyn Kane and David Lewis and Debbie Gallagher. These are people who just were always behind the scenes doing these little things that most people would never know about, and, and but to bless the church. and And I saw it, and the, more the Lord sees those kinds of things. I think of Zane Elise. Kane and Michelle Tom Barkowski, Andrew and Anne Mayne, all of our missionaries who have given up life in Boston, Massachusetts to go live in places where they're impoverished themselves to make others rich in Christ. I think uh, Michael and Tracy Balboni who took our dear sister Lois uh, Minehart into their house to care for her as she fights against cancer, why? Because they knew if she was put into a nursing home during COVID, that she would likely die and not have any friends around her. I, I, I think of uh, Stuart DeLorme, who day after day would visit our shut-in seniors and, and Chloe and, and uh, Nora, Varengia, two of our teenagers who regularly are just in the nursery all the time taking care of our children, our, our, our infants and toddlers. And, and I love the story that Julie Boyd told me about Pat Chen. Julie mentioned in passing to Pat that she was running a 5K race. And wouldn't you know it, to Julie's great surprise, a week and a half later, when she, she ran the race, not knowing anybody in the race, just ran it there's pat at the finish line she was not expecting it there he is just cheering her on as she crossed that line And you know i could i'm just looking around i i, I could just keep on going because of the people i know here and, and what you've done out of love out of faith out of hope uh, for one another Park Street is not the church of Corinth. But we are a city church, a cosmopolitan church, and we're a church that's filled with lots of smart people. And we're a wealthy church with lots of resources. And God has moved in amazing ways among us. And, well, to be honest, there's times where that's kind of puffed us up, all those things, to think, probably a little too more highly of ourselves than we ought. And of course that has turned into times where there's division even within our own church. But I'll tell you and you know this love covers over a multitude of sin. Doesn't it? It's certainly been the case here over the years. I mean, how, how how many times that list of staff I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, including me, didn't live up to all the things we should have, or wanted to, or could have. But here you still are. Loving God. Loving each other. Forgiving each other. Why? Because of the faith and the hope that you have in Christ. And again, I want to speak on behalf of that previous generation of leaders that despite our shortcomings, despite the failures that you all know far too well, we hope that you know how deeply you were loved by us. Imagine if you actually leaned into all of this love a little more. If you, that faith that you have in Christ would, would become more certain. If that hope that you have in the Lord took greater root in your heart, and you really believed the things he's promised that he's going to extend to you, How would that change the way in which you love and live in the present? How would that change the way in which your marriage might look? The way you treat your spouse? Because some of you need to embrace that. There's marriages here that are hurting and you've got to take this perspective or they're done. How would that change the way in which you're interacting with your son or your daughter or uh, the people in your dorm or your co-workers? How would that mindset change Park Street Church? What would our meetings begin to look like? What would our, how would our worship be different if our faith and our hope increased our love for each other and love for the Lord. How would that impact our kingdom, uh, our work for the kingdom on this campus and outside? Will you spend today thinking about that and and see where your mind takes you? Huh, What, what would happen? I think the occasional sharp elbows would turn into warm embraces. I think Reconciliation and oneness would rule the day. And I think those who visit this church would say, surely the living God lives among them because look at the way they love one another. Park Street, put your faith in Christ. Park Street, put your hope in Christ. Christ and Park Street, because of that faith, and because of that hope, love God and love one another all the more. Amen?